Health Radio. Here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Elland. Today on the program, we're going to do something a little different, something we should have done a few months back. We're going to talk about the cannabis plant, the marijuana plant, its chemical makeup, and what those chemicals do for human health. You've heard people we've interviewed talk a lot about THC, CBD, but what about some of the other cannabinoids? What do they do for us? Today we're going to find out. Consider this as a Cannabis Chemistry 101 class. And joining us from California is Gooey Rabinsky, technical writer, photographer, and compliance documentation specialist for cannabis businesses. He's the author of Understanding Medical Marijuana, available on Amazon Kindle. Gooey, thanks for doing this again. Oh, I'm honored. Thanks for having me. Gooey, I want to... uh, make this as simple as possible for people to understand, because I don't want this to become a scientific um, examination of the, the cannabis plant, but I want people to have a better understanding of some of the chemicals in cannabis and what they do for human health. Now, let's start at the very beginning and deal with THC. Tell us about THC. Well, THC is one of about 111 cannabinoids, uh, these molecules, they're chemicals called cannabinoids, that appear in the cannabis plant, which everyone refers to it as an herb, which it is. Uh, Technically, it's also a vegetable, uh, which I think makes it a bit comic that it's been uh, under prohibition for so long. But uh, So this is the the plant in nature that we're dealing with. And uh, there have been studies conducted by like Normal in California years ago that found that there are more than 400 chemicals uh, in cannabis. Now, it depends on how it's being consumed, is that if we're combusting it and there are certain chemical changes that occur when we combust cannabis that are very different than if we eat it, for example, ingestion, and it goes through the stomach and the liver. So all of these chemicals that we're going to talk about, especially cannabinoids like THC, we have to remember that they are affected and and changed, and they have a different efficacy for the human body if they're consumed in different ways. Now, THC only becomes psychoactive if it's heated, correct? Well, this is where it gets interesting, and we have to think about acidic precursors. And, uh, again, not wanting this to become, you know, an overly academic dialogue, uh, acidic precursors are just the, the – kind of think of them as the larval stage – of the adult molecule. And so if we have THC, there's an acidic precursor to it called THCA. Now, THCA goes through a process called decarboxylation when it is combusted. Now, there are ways to do decarboxylation without actually burning the herb, without it going through combustion. And uh, that can be done like in an oven at about 230, 240 degrees Fahrenheit. And that will convert the THCA 
to THC. And the reason it's called decarboxylation is because it loses, uh, I believe it's a carbon and two oxygens. Uh, that's the molecular change. It's losing part of its chain to become the THC. THCA the acidic precursor is not psychoactive. Uh, THCA obviously is. So in terms of the efficacy for the human body, it's a, it's a major change uh, with just uh, an instantaneous uh, chemical reaction like combustion. We should tell people, and Corey knows this better than most, that THC is what people need for cancer. Correct, Corey? Correct. And uh, this little document I have in front of me, it's what is medical marijuana used for? And it says THC reduces nausea, muscle relaxant, uh, relaxant. let's try that again, muscle relaxant, <laughs> antioxidant, relieves spasms, increases appetite, pain reliever, and glaucoma pressure relief. And THCA is a bone stimulant antibacterial, anti-inflammatory, antifungal, lowers blood pressure, inhibits tumor cell growth. Now, when you heat TH, when you heat the, the 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 marijuana and it converts THCA to THC, does that mean you lose the THCA? Yes, the, there, there's no longer a THCA molecule, and it's good that you bring that up, Ian, because there is great efficacy we're starting to find in THCA. Uh, there's a doctor uh, here in California in Mendocino County, just south of Humboldt, where I am, Dr. William Courtney, and he's worked extensively with juicing the cannabis plant, where he's taking the fan leaves primarily, and they're juicing them for the THCA. They, they're not seeking THC. And using it for patients who are extremely sick, and it's somewhat controversial, but he's reporting uh, some almost miraculous recoveries. Uh, people with their diseases going into remission, uh, going from uh, you know so sick they can't get out of bed, and now they're healthy. Well, they're doing that all with THCA. So that's that's what's really kind of wonderful about this herb from a medicinal perspective is that we're finding these molecules have great value for human health and, and human wellness in various stages of their lives. And we're finally learning that this is more than just about growing a plant and drying flowers and sticking them in a bong and smoking them. Uh, vaping, for example, there have been studies done. There was one done with uh, Dale Geringer from California Normal years ago, uh, and I talk about it in my book where they were comparing combusting cannabis with vaping cannabis, and you get some bad chemicals when you combust it. Now, a lot of people theorize that the THCA and CBD and other cannabinoids and terpenes and their anti-cancer effects outweigh that, and, and so the little damage that you get from smoking uh, is, is counterbalanced by the benefits of those terpenes and, and cannabinoids. But if we really want to play it safe, and, and this is actually something that's recommended for most patients, is investing in a good desktop vaporizer. A lot of these pen vaporizers are kind of a joke, quite honestly. They let you go mobile, but they don't, they don't do a very good job, and the temperature controls are really bad. Uh, and if you get a nice, you know, a couple hundred dollar uh, desktop vaporizer, you can cut out all those bad chemicals that you get in combustion. And uh, what these studies have found is that you're getting uh, THC and uh, a couple other things, and, and that's it. Uh, you cut out uh, anything bad that occurs in combustion. 
combustion in terms of potential carcinogens. Can we explain to listeners what you mean by a desktop vaporizer as opposed to a, a pen-type vaporizer? Well, these pens are obviously getting really popular, and there's some decent models out there, and there's some really crappy models. Most of them all come from the same section of China, and uh, you know they're just stamped out, and they're they're very very cheap devices. Um, a good desktop. Uh, vaporizer. The, probably the most famous is the Volcano from Germany. Um, the problem there is that uh, many patients, especially if they're too sick to work, are on a constrained budget. And this is a five to six hundred dollar device. It's a medical grade device. It's just, uh, you know, I wish everybody just had a spare five or six hundred dollars and could have one of these in their home, especially patients, because uh, it just reduces any of the health risks uh, to such a large extent. And uh, quite frankly, it's a it's a pleasant experience. You know, it's uh, if you're a very sick patient and you have to consume a lot of medicine and you smoke it, uh, you know, that, that can be rough on the throat and lungs after a while. But uh, vaping doesn't involve any of that. It's a very clean really you know pure experience and i would recommend that all serious patients would figure out uh, you don't have to spend five hundred dollars you know there's hundred to two hundred dollar models out there that are good but they're called desktop vaporizers because they don't really go mobile uh, you can you know throw it in your backpack take it to your friend's house and plug it in and let it warm up and and, and do all that too but unlike a vape pen you're not going to be puffing on it in the airport or at the bus stop or at work We've talked to people who've had serious COPD issues, and they've vaped, and it's done absolute wonders for them. Yeah, it's it's really it's really a great way to go. Um, uh, it's it's kind of my preferred method, but I, I tend to socialize with a lot of people during interviews or when I'm just kind of trying to find out what's going on around here. And there really is a, a culture in many parts of North America where people will hand you a joint. Uh, you know, smoking cannabis is still an extremely popular way to do it. But when we consider the medical efficacy side and very sick people who have to take this very seriously and and not harm their health, ironically, they're trying to they're trying to improve their health. Uh, vaporization is a no-brainer. It's really the, the way to go. There's just a small price tag attached to it, but I think it's an acceptable one. You know, a good desktop vaporizer is a great investment for uh, a patient. Gary, read THCA. I know, particularly in Australia, that getting CBD derived from cannabis is really, really difficult. And I know there's a number of families in Australia who are using THCA on their children for seizures instead of CBD. Mm-hmm. We're, we're finding efficacy in all of the cannabinoids and the terpenes. I've been uh, writing quite a bit about terpenes for a, a couple of different uh, media outlet clients. And the pattern that I'm seeing is that the quote-unquote average terpene, and up to 200 of them can appear in an individual cannabis uh, strain, um, but they, you start to see commonalities. And now not all terpenes do this, but most of them have three major efficacies. They're anti-cancer, they're anti-systemic inflammation, which is great for people with arthritis and bursitis. Uh, and there's, there's hundreds of diseases related to, to inflammation. And uh, it's also an analgesic kills pain so we find that as an aggregate because when you consume cannabis whether you vape or smoke you're not getting just one terpene you know it's not isolated we we write these articles you know and and we get this information and and at an academic level we say oh this is what thca does but in reality 
THCA is never isolated. I mean, we can do it in a laboratory, but uh, we go to sources like leaves and with the juicing like Dr. William Courtney is doing because that's just a, a practical way to do it. But there's always other terpenes and cannabinoids. And because we have this thing called the entourage effect and we found that they buffer and enhance each other, certain terpenes can allow other cannabinoids, which are like their chemical cousins, to pass through the blood-brain barrier and reach the brain. And, you know, this is one of the reasons that THC, for example, has a psychoactive effect because why it's able to get into the brain. Gui, let's talk about uh, cannabidiol, CBD, which has gained uh, large prominence throughout, uh, I guess, North America and the world with as a result of Charlotte's Web, the little girl Charlotte. Right. Uh, what was her name? Charlotte Figgy. Charlotte Figgy. Yes. Yeah. And uh, control of epilepsy. Talk about CBD and its value. Well, CBD is is kind of weird right now with the federal government of the United States trying. You know, it's legal, then it's not legal, and we have a lot of companies wanting to sell CBD in one form or another. Sometimes even as a topical, as you know, a skin cream. And the legal loophole has been deriving it from hemp instead of deriving it uh, from cannabis. Now, the only difference between hemp and cannabis, they're the same species, okay? So it's like saying, you know, someone born in Norway versus someone born in Miami, Florida. The the difference technically is that hemp has less than 0.3% THC. And this is an arbitrary uh, level set by human beings, obviously. In fact, there was a book, Dana Larson from Cannabis Culture there in Vancouver has written extensively about it. Uh, a guy wrote a book, I believe, in the 1930s, and, and that's just how he defined hemp, and the international community picked up on it, and it became uh, it became a standard. But that's really the only difference. So from a molecular perspective, if we derive CBD from hemp versus cannabis, it doesn't really matter. If we, if we pull pure CBD out of that and turn it into a tincture or, or a lotion or an inhalant, you know, some way of consuming that, uh, if we're just seeking that individual uh, cannabinoid, that individual molecule, it doesn't really matter if we get it from hemp or cannabis. Now, the value of CBD is that it's anti-diabetic anti i should have worn my glasses when i did this it's a, it's a bone stimulant inhibits tumor cell growth uh lupus and arthritis relief reduces artery blockage which is interesting because it relaxes the veins i never knew that until uh, i was going through this and so that- yeah it's good for preventing strokes uh stroke strokes and heart attacks i mean a lot of health is prevention right and right. western medicine right. tends to think oh you have some traumatic event you know you almost die and we're going to come in like superman and save you but so much of it really is prevention and regular cannabis users can get those benefits of preventing heart attacks and and strokes and it becomes kind of an invisible victory because you know the heart attack you never had you probably don't know you never had it but you're damn lucky <laughs> You know, Gooey, we talked about THC, THCA, and CBD. What are some of the other cannabinoids that maybe people might be less familiar with? Um, Well, I think, you know, for patients especially to understand the whole acidic precursor chain and and that, you know, we have this molecule called THC. And uh, it's not going to turn into THC unless we vape it, combust it, 
or uh, decarboxylate it, like when we're going to use it for edibles. And they have very different medical efficacies. I mean, some people need to medicate but not have a psychoactive effect because they really just you know need to be top of their game, say pilots, drivers, child care people. Uh, and so our ability to look toward molecules like THCA without the psychoactive effect and but with a lot of medical efficacy now again the medical efficacy from THCA is going to be a little different than that of THC and so in the end we really want to get all of them is kind of my opinion uh human all mammals have this thing called the endocannabinoid system and it's the only reason that consuming cannabinoids which are technically phytocannabinoids because they come from outside the human body. We produce our own cannabinoids, and they're called endocannabinoids. Now, the whole reason, especially if you're a prohibitionist or you're opposed to cannabis as medicine, and, and you say, you know, you just want to get high, right? You're, these people, they just want to get high. They're calling it medicine. Where is the real efficacy there? Well, we prove this efficacy because of the existence of the endocannabinoid system. It's, you know, this is not a bunch of crazy hippies who have declared that this is truth. You know, serious research has been done around the globe in Israel, in, in Spain, in Canada, in the United States, in England, uh, in China even. They've done research on terpenes and cannabinoids. Uh, and, and, it, and it proves all the benefit here. So we've got all mammals have an endocannabinoid system. If it's a mammal, it's got one. And it involves these receptors called CB1 and CB2. The CB1 receptors are collected in the brain and the central nervous system. Uh, and the CB2, and that's where THC goes, by the way. THC targets the CB1 receptor. It has something called a high binding efficiency or uh, efficacy where it, they're very attracted to each other. You know, it's a romance made in heaven and, uh, and it has maximum efficacy. Then the CBD tends to target the CB2 receptors and those are located throughout the body in the immune system. And because the glands and tissues involved in the immune system are just everywhere from tip to toe, uh, literally, that's where the CBD goes into those CB2 mm-hmm. slide. I know we get a lot of abbreviations here. Sometimes you almost need a chart uh, you know, to, to, to keep it all straight. Uh, so back to the endocannabinoid system, it's theorized because of modern living, lack of exercise, poor diet, highly processed food, you know, pollution in our environment, that most of of us suffer an endocannabinoid deficiency, meaning the internally produced, the endocannabinoids, are not meeting our health needs. Therefore, we supplement, just like a vitamin theory, right, or herbal supplements. We, we say, wow, you know, we're not getting what we want, need from our standard diet uh, or pr- the molecules we're producing internally, so we're going to have to look outside to something like a plant. So if we think people have de- deficiencies, just like some people are smarter than others, some people are stronger than others, we, we have a certain genetic, inherent genetic tendency. So some people aren't going to need that many phytocannabinoids, but other people are going to need a whole lot. And I think this mindset is really important to understand, you know, why are we smoking and vaping and eating this, this plant called cannabis sativa? How do we convince prohibitionists and the naysayers, because I think that's really the challenge, otherwise we're preaching to the converted, how do we convince them that, hey, this, this, this is a plant that evolved alongside of human beings? And I'll just beg forgiveness from the fundamentalists you know, in the audience. Because when we look at it at the molecular level and with the endocannabinoid system, it's apparent that 
this is a species of plant that it's like eating an orange you know it's it's healthy as long as it doesn't have a bunch of pesticides in it well it goes back to 1937 when the federal government in the united states brought in the marijuana tax act and one of the opponents of the marijuana tax act was the american medical association because they said uh, cannabis was used as a medicine and uh, it, it showed no harm and it has been used for thousands and thousands of years and you make a very good point because as a result of i guess pollution uh toxic chemicals and what we are consuming today because of the ban on, on marijuana over the last 70 years people are becoming sicker and sicker and sicker and the people that we've interviewed who have had some very very serious illnesses right uh, and uh, one woman the other day that we talked to Corey, uh she was on um painkillers to the point where her doctor put her on methadone, and she was taking 90 milligrams of methadone, methadone. a day. Whoa. Yes. Uh, yeah. uh, and then, then they refused to give her any. Then the and, doctor and just cut her off. Just cut her off, period. And she was on, like, a crapload of stuff. Yeah. And uh, she, so, so she started uh, smoking and started taking uh, uh, cannabis. And as a result, she kicked methadone and all of her pills within six months. And uh, I thought that was absolutely remarkable. But this has been a medicine for years, and uh, as a result of not having that in our system, we are cannabinoid deficient. Fair enough? Is that a fair enough comment? Yeah, and I think you bring up a good point, too, that we really didn't touch on earlier, and that's... Um, not to get political about it, but you know, we human beings and modern Western societies have a lot of pharmaceuticals shoved down their throat, and we've got people taking too many painkillers, too much oxy. They're becoming addicted to these chemicals, and then they're obviously taking way too much because they're addicted. Uh, and that's just another thing that's really tearing up people's health. Um, the nice thing about Cannabis, and if we think about cannabinoids and terpenes, is that they can be used to not only reduce those pharmaceutical drugs, but as many of the people you've interviewed can tell you, and many of the people I've written about in patient profiles, uh, sometimes they can completely replace those pharmaceutical drugs and those traditional therapies that carry so many negative side effects. I can't tell you how many people I've interviewed, and some of these are people like HIV cancer, severe arthritis, MS, and the universal message has been before I started using cannabis, they perceived that they were going to die from their pharmaceutical treatments before they were going to die from their disease. And that's just kind of a universal thing that I think people like us are are hearing from them. Um, So, yeah, we have a better solution. It's but it goes back to 1937, like you're saying, and there's uh, there's big business, and, and big business doesn't like to give up a, sh- a share of the pie. They don't want to see a percentage of their revenues going to competitors who are selling cannabis products for health instead of you know their little white pills. CBD from hemp versus CBD from cannabis. Um, I certainly notice a difference in the two that that f- from the people that I'm in contact with that are using it. For example, you know, I was in, uh, speaking with uh, Janet Sweetie out of Littleton, Colorado, and talking about all the successes I was seeing up here with acquaintances and friends of mine with arthritis. 
being on CBD. And she said, she asked me if I was sure it wasn't a placebo effect. And I said, absolutely. And uh, because there were so many people that were coming to me saying, oh my gosh, I haven't been able to do this in, you know, 10, 15 years. And it turned out that the people that she, and we're just talking about arthritis right now, the people she was giving CBD to in Colorado was CBD derived from hemp, and it wasn't very effective at all. The CBD that people here in Victoria were using was a CBD from a strain of cannabis called Noodle, and they were having profound results with it. So that would, I, is that about the terpenes that are coming coming with the CBD from cannabis versus the CBD from hemp? Well, at a molecular level, they are identical. Uh, CBD is CBD is CBD. So, yeah, there's some commingling there. Or, again, if it's being packaged, maybe the people who were getting the cannabis-derived CBD and getting such good efficacy, maybe it was in the form of, of, of a tincture or something that was very readily absorbed you know, into their body. Because we can take these wonderful molecules and we can suspend or infuse them into products that are really not high-quality products. They're not highly medicinal. So just because we've got the molecule in there, we shouldn't assume that the, the way it's packaged and made consumable by humans is done in the proper way you know Goey, even though we're talking about a little breakdown of, of some of the cannabinoids in the cannabis plant one of the things i think we should make clear and Corey, you you can chime in on this is that people shouldn't be focused on a specific component or a specific chemical unless it's thc and cbd dealing with cancer or epilepsy and things like that they should just simply take the damn oil or the plant (laughs) yeah that's my feeling it's the entourage effect you know And, and i'm all about god or whoever whatever you know your belief system is put all these components and terpenes flavonoids etc cannabinoids in the plant together for a reason that's just my take yeah there's there's very much that school of thought uh here in california uh many communities of of farmers and processors and and companies that are starting in this green rush uh and they're labeling it full spectrum and full plant yes and uh it's one of the reasons that this this new uh concentrate technology uh called live resin is so popular because what they do is they take a plant freshly harvested and they cryogenically now we're talking negative 290 fahrenheit okay yes. so this takes labor expensive laboratory equipment and trained professionals to do this it's not a backyard bho thing okay but they cryogenically freeze the plant stem and all the entire damn plant you know basically except for the roots is how most of these guys are doing it and then they put it through a more kind of a traditional uh, uh, extraction process. But their whole goal there is to maintain all of the terpenes, all the cannabinoids. These are very volatile, delicate chemicals. Uh, some terpenes break down at like 90 degrees. You know, their boiling point is, from a chemical perspective, is very low. Some of them just literally a, a cannabis being transported uh, in trucks and stuff like that in backpacks across, you know, North America. Um, and just the jostling of the herb 
can can break down uh, some of these and also just time uh, you know there there are some people working on nitrogen packaging systems that would maintain fresh quote unquote cannabis uh, give it a shelf life of like seven or eight years but that's not common you know so we've mm-hmm. we've really got to think about okay did this cannabis sit on the shelf for six months because if it did that THC is going to degrade into uh, CBN and CBN becomes you know bedtime for bonzo weed it, it it's it's very much a, one of its traits is uh, it's great for insomniacs because they can get some sleep i was going to ask you about uh, that was going to be my next question what about cbn and cbg but before i ask that just sort of uh, off the path a little bit if someone because i've had a couple people ask me this lately if someone is using just topicals with thc in them are they going to test positive for drug in the states you know where they do that. Hmm. Um, technically, it's it's possible because if you if you it, well, what they're testing for the most common test uh, at least here in the U.S. is uh, what's called a five-panel test, and it tests for five different drugs, and cannabis is one of those. And it's they're looking for a metabolite uh, that that it comes from. In the chemical chain, it's after THC, after it's uh, metabolized by the body, and and that's what they're looking for. Now, I get this question a lot. Uh, I've got a drug test coming up. Uh, how long should I not smoke? This is very, very highly – I mean, if you're just kind of a couple puffs every Saturday night type of person, you could quit for seven days and be, and be clean for a standard five-panel test. Remember, we're talking about a five-panel test, which is – absolutely the most common uh we're not talking about a hair follicle test or something like that. that stuff goes back six eight months so so if you've got a hair follicle test and you you're a regular smoker you're screwed okay there's just, you're not going to get you're not going to get past it but on the five panel test now if you're a heavy smoker i've known people that had it was two and a half months before they were clean you know, they'd go every few weeks and they'd pay for the test themselves and they'd drop 50 or $80 and uh, go to a, a laboratory in their town and, and find out, nope, you're still dirty. But, you know, at least their prospective employer or a health insurance company wasn't wasn't getting that uh, wasn't getting that news. But back to the topical issue, it depends on how that THC is absorbed into the body. Is it producing the metabolite that is being tested for on that five panel test? That becomes the question. It's it's also really hard. You you get less of it, especially the way most topicals are made. The body absorbs less of it. Where you're getting the most uh, THC, and you would be more likely to, to test positive, is through uh, smoking it and eating it. I know that I'm going to get at least a couple of people messaging me this the following question after this after this airs. If they dry their cannabis. Let's just say they dry it in the sun or they dry it wherever, and then mm-hmm. they choose to ingest it, like, say, put some in a smoothie or something. Are they going to get high then? No, because no. it has not been decarboxylated. What they're, they're getting a whole lot of THCA, and uh, because there's more THCA in the flowers than there are in the leaves, the whole reason people like William Courtney, uh, Dr. William Courtney, are doing the juicing of the fan leaves is because if you produce a lot of cannabis, if you're a cannabis farmer, uh, it's called trim, right? Yes. And, and so, but now they're finding a lack of availability of these fan leaves because the farmers are selling it to processors who are using it to create BHO and CO2 oil and the stuff that goes in those vape pens. Mm 
So we're finding that you know what used to just be farmers used to throw this throw the throw term it away. Out. It used to be scrap. Threw, yeah, it was scrap, and now it's gold. It is just yeah. it's 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 showing such a an emerging market value that uh, you know, and that would be kind of sad. That's why we have to maintain a medical industry, medical cannabis industry and culture because if it all goes quote-unquote recreational for adult use then you're going to find yes in the production chain here those farmers are going to seek top dollar and they're going to sell those fan leaves not to somebody who's going to juice them for thca to somebody who's going to make a a vape cartridge for tourists in west hollywood uh so you know there's there's political and industry uh ramifications here but uh back to the 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 chemicals uh you know basically i i I if you're a really sick patient i would experiment with as much as i could the problem with juicing is it's hard to find those fan leaves because you have to have a lot of them on a daily basis yeah Uh, yeah you got to have a lot it's really extremely impractical for most people to do it and that's why i feel almost guilty when i write about juicing because it's so theoretical and nobody can take my advice you know i i I want sick patients to be able to do things that'll help them and here they get all this great information and it's like great how do i actually do that you need so much just to juice you know i've I've, I've had tons of people write me and say well what about juicing blah blah and yes it's a great idea love william courtney and you know all of the info up behind juicing cannabis but you'd have to grow tons of it to be able to juice on a daily basis yeah, it's highly impressive. That's why it would be so. so nice to see open markets emerge like it's happening here on the American West Coast to where, you know, I want to see specialty craft companies. I want to see a company that does nothing more than if I can go buy one of those Odwalla drinks for $3 and, you know, get my mango juice and all my vitamins and everything, uh, then why shouldn't I be able to at the same store get buy a THCA drink, you know, that's been juiced, uh, it's organic and comes from the from the fan leaves. I mean, that's that's what an emergency, emerging cannabis industry should support, patients and, and adult users alike. Everyone should be able to walk into the store uh, and buy that. And I think the industry could support that. We'll see how the regulations go. It's interesting you mention that because I think the, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the marijuana industry in North America is very much like the craft beer industry was 30 years ago. It's just developing. And we really don't know where it's going. Yeah, and it's and it's and it's so tricky, and because it's uh, it's based on regulations. You know, a lot of people assume that oh wow, like okay, last November in the United States, we doubled the number of adult use legal states here. Uh, it kind of got eclipsed by the presidential election, but uh, we picked up California, Nevada, Maine, and Massachusetts. And so that market is expanding. But right now, because it's illegal at the federal level, none of those states can trade back and forth. In fact, they're having to set up complex licensing deals like uh, Dixie Brands in Colorado. Well, they also want to sell in other legal states, right, like Washington, Oregon, California. So they're having to go through these complicated uh, licensing loops of setting up totally separate companies that then also they don't get shut down uh, by the feds. But they're getting into some real specialty uh, marketing and putting out some of the infused uh, drinks are 
just amazing. I had infused craft, it's funny you mentioned craft beer. I had infused craft beer when I was down in Malibu a couple of weeks ago and it was organic too. It was just, uh, amazing. You know, this is what an open market can promote. But so many people think, wow, it went legal. We picked up four new states and that's it, right? Wow. It's legal. There's going to be a dispensary on every corner. Uh, it's all going to be great. Anybody can get good products and a wide variety of them. And unfortunately that's not the case because then when these states, and other jurisdictions like counties and municipalities, when they set up the regulations for how businesses, cannabis businesses can operate, if those are restrictive regulations, then you're not going to see a lot of these neat products that especially could have great medical efficacy for some patient uh, segments. In fact, some of these communities are banning, they're outright banning, and I know this uh, happens in Canada a bit too, uh, any cannabis business. And, you know, it's sad because they're saying, no, you know, we got a church, we got a liquor store, and we're not going to let you put a dispensary beside it. Now, what those municipalities cannot do, uh, those jurisdictions cannot go counter to state law. So if the state says it's legal to possess and consume, then you can't stop your citizens the residents have a right to do that. They cannot go counter to state law. But what they can do, and the reason they can ban cannabis businesses, is because if the state law does not explicitly say you cannot ban cannabis businesses, they can. And that's what, the, that's what they're doing all over the place. So we think Oregon's very progressive, Washington State, California, obviously, you know, oh, they're all smoking weed and it's all, it's all great. Uh, no, it's really not because there are dozens. I mean, if you look at all the entire uh, West Coast of the United States, hundreds of counties and municipalities have just outright banned uh, dispensaries or production or cultivation, anything in their communities. And, you know, that's just going to make the black market thrive because people are not going to drive an hour to buy an eighth of flowers you know they're gonna they're gonna call their cousin and have somebody show up at their doorstep the way the black market's always done it gooey it was a pleasure to talk to you it was very informative and i hope uh, i think people will uh, get a better understanding of uh, cannabis as a result of our, as a result of our conversation uh, you didn't you, I, didn't you didn't fall there did you no, no, not at all. Just sloppy neighbors. Okay. <laughs> it was a pleasure to talk to you again. Thanks very much. Thank Thanks. you it's so much, an honor. It's, it's always an honor. There's so much to talk about about this uh, miraculous plant that, you know, we could go on forever. But I uh, always appreciate the time with you guys. There you have it, another edition of Cannabis Health Radio. If you'd like to tell your story about the medical use of cannabis and how it's helped you, Contact us here at Cannabis Health Radio. Just send us an email at info at CannabisHealthRadio.com, or you can also contact us through Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening, everyone. You've been listening to the Cannabis Health Radio podcast. Visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli. 
Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.